Andy Lickle is going to come up, and he's going to he's going to preach to us. Um, Andy's the staff worker at Ivy or one on campus, and he can come up now. Yeah. Um, so he likes to talk to us when Robert's gone. Yes. Okay. Gotta get my. They're clapping for you, Eric. I oh, think yeah, it's I good. Think it. He has a dreamy voice, doesn't he? <laughs> get my Britney Spears mic going here. We're good. These things make me nervous. And I never turn them on ahead of time because, like, one of my biggest fears in life is that I'm going to leave my microphone on when we're singing. <laughs> that would be, like, the worst thing ever. So, how are you guys doing tonight? Good? Eric, if I step on any of this stuff, will I hurt it? Okay. All right. This thing's making me nervous. Can, or is it just me that can hear the buzzing? If it's just me, then that's good. Sorry, I'm a mess tonight. I'm surprised you guys are here because the weather is amazing outside, by the way. All right, well, good deal. So, uh, Eric already said, I work with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on campus, and uh, our, our vision in InterVarsity is to see students and faculty transformed and campuses renewed and world changers developed, right, Crystal? Yes. By the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love that vision because it's something that we can't do on our own. Only God can do it, right? So I... Uh, I just get excited to come in and speak to you guys whenever Robert's gone. And Robert is very lucky. He gets to be hiking the Appalachian Trail while we're here in Wisconsin. Can you hear that? Or is, is it just me that can hear the buzzing? Is, does it annoy anybody besides me? Okay, good. All right, good. We'll just talk talk through it. So you guys, I, I, I love Tapestry Church because you guys are one of the best churches around as far as being the church. A lot of people just go to church on Sunday mornings, and you know that, right? I think Tapestry is really good at being the church, being the body of Christ, and portraying the glory of God. And I love you guys, and if I didn't already have a church when Robert came here, I would be with you. Um, I love tapestry. I love Robert. Uh, he and I poke fun at each other all the time. And I listen every once in a while. I listen to a sermon because you guys have them on your website when it's up. Your website's down, by the way. Did you know that? And like half the sermons that I listen to, Robert makes fun of me in them. So I like to come here and just kind of try to clear the air a little bit. Um, and I, I absolutely love Robert. It is a blessing for you guys to have him. What kind of a guy would come up from the deep south to Wisconsin of all places just to plant the church, just for you guys? So Robert asked me to come and preach tonight, and uh, if he would have asked me to mow his lawn, I would have done that too. So I am just feel blessed to be here with you guys and to serve Tapestry and serve Robert. So I'm going to... Try to continue with the series that Robert is doing. You guys have been in Mark, is that right? So we're in Mark 7. Ah, oh, Jake, we are not doing Corinthians. I can't change it now. It's too late. You should have told me that a while back. So we're going we're gonna to continue in Mark 7, and I'm going to say a few words about it and 
And uh, we'll read it first, and then I'll pray, and then I'll say a few words. But if you want to get your Bibles out with me, you can. Um, Mark 7, and I'm actually going to reread a little bit of what Robert has been preaching on. So I'm just going to read Mark 7, 6 through 7, because I think it's important for understanding what we're going to read the rest of the night. And then we're going to do Mark 7, 6 through 7, and then I'll just skip down to verse 14 and read 14 through 23. So we'll read it, and then I'll pray for us here. So Mark 7, 6 through 7. Jesus says, And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then verse 14, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. All right, let's pray quick. Father, we thank you so much for your word, God, and for the way that you've given us this gift that transforms us. Lord, I pray that you would just bless your word tonight by your spirit, that you would work through it to transform us into the image of your son. I pray that you would get me out of the way tonight and that we here at Tapestry could just see you and what you would have to teach us. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I was talking to Robert earlier this week, and I was like, well, I think the, the main point of this passage is that we shouldn't stick to our religious ceremonies as Christians. And Robert's like, yeah, that's right. But that's the main point of my sermon for the last three weeks. So I didn't want to bore you guys to death. So that kind of drove me to reinvestigate this passage a little bit and look at it a little bit deeper. And I think... Um, This text has a lot more to say than just don't cling to your religious ceremonies and your religious rituals, actually. As I studied it for myself, I really started to realize that this is probably one of the most challenging things that Jesus ever said in the Gospels. And when I would read this, you know, just in my everyday reading of the Gospels, I would kind of glance over it and not think twice about it. But when I really studied it in depth this past week, Um, It kind of hit me in the face. This is one of the most audacious things that Jesus says in the Gospels. It's so in your face and so controversial that I would even say this is what ultimately got Jesus killed. So it's a really, it's a much more important passage than I thought it was at first. I thought I was getting upset with Robert because he gave me like this dumb passage that is really, it's pretty depressing, right? We just read it. 
It just talks about how a whole bunch of sins. And this should be the most depressing sermon you've ever heard if we just stuck to this passage. And good preachers just stick to the passage. But I'm not a good preacher, so I'm not going to just stick to the passage. Um, but, but this is one of the most audacious things that Jesus ever says. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So the title, if I had to title my sermon tonight, my title would be, Why We Need Jesus. And that really should be the title of every sermon, like ever, right? But well, just bear with me. I couldn't come up with anything more creative. So we're going to talk about why we need Jesus out of Mark seven fourteen through 23. You see, Jesus was a Jew. And I think that's a good thing for us to keep in mind as we read this. Because he was starting to gain a reputation as a Jewish teacher for saying things that were sort of anti-Jewish religion. Sort of anti-Jewish religion. He was saying things like, no, it really is lawful for my disciples to heal on the Sabbath. And it really is lawful for this guy to pick up his mat and carry it home on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, which you guys have, I think, studied the last couple of weeks, were kind of getting upset with Jesus by this point in time. Because those were laws that they held to pretty strictly. And here in Mark 7, 14 through 23, Jesus is kind of bashing the Pharisees again for more laws, specifically dietary laws, by saying, what? You can't make yourself unclean by putting things into your body, by the things you eat. Well, that's kind of a big deal, right? It's kind of a big deal for the Jews because they had all kinds of laws about what you could and couldn't eat. Like, what were some things... That Jews could not eat. Pork. Pork's a big one. Can anybody think of anything else? With cloven hoofs. Blood. Yes, thank you. Birds of prey, things like that. So they had a lot of, a lot of dietary rules. So Jesus, with one fell swoop, wipes out a lot of what the Jews believed. And it's a, a really big deal. When he says to them in verse 15 here that nothing coming from outside a man going into him can make him unclean, he was really bashing something that they believed big time, big time. For Jews, actually, no Orthodox Jew today believes this, right? So this isn't just an archaic thing. No Jew believes this today. This is kind of a big deal for them. And just to, to point this out, there was a historical account in a couple books, and maybe you've heard of these books. They're First and Second Maccabees. Catholics, they're lucky. They get extra books in their Bible. And they have First and Second Maccabees in their Bible. Uh, we, don't, we don't believe that it's Scripture, but we believe it's a good historical account. I won't go into that. I like First and Second Maccabees as a historical book. You don't happen to have First and Second Maccabees on a PowerPoint, do you? I would really be impressed. But... No? Oh, man. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. I don't even know where I'd begin to look for it there. But, but in First and Second Maccabees, there are a whole bunch of accounts of this king of Syria. And what he did was try to root out the Jewish faith. And there's this Maccabean revolt, and these brothers rose up against this king of Assyria and tried to fight back. But what was going on, the reason they were fighting back was the king of Assyria was trying to force 
the Jewish people to eat pork. Force them to eat pork, but they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. They would rather be tortured. There are some awful accounts in First and Second Maccabees of, of Jews like being roasted in a frying pan, having their tongues cut out and their limbs hacked off, um, being tortured and killed rather than eat pork. Rather than eat pork. So what Jesus is saying here, he's saying to the Pharisees who would rather die than eat pork, whose grandparents did die rather than eat pork, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. That's not the point. Eating pork doesn't make you unclean. This really flies in the face of what they believed. Really flies in the face of what they believed. So in one sense, Jesus is wiping out something for which the Jewish people had really suffered and died. It's an audacious claim that he's making. And it's no wonder that the Jews were pretty ticked. Pharisees were pretty mad, just a little bit, right? Like they went to try and kill him. And it's no wonder that his disciples were a little bit confused. Jesus says this extremely harsh thing, and I think it's funny. We kind of get the impression out of this passage that he says this to them and just kind of walks away, right? Can you imagine that? I just love when Jesus does this. He does it all the time. He says things like, uh, try to find here. There's a guy, right, that came to him and said, Jesus, I want to follow you, but my dad just died, and I have to bury him. What does Jesus say to him? Let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me. And just walks away. Right? And it says things like, uh, whoever does not hate his father and mother cannot be my disciple. And he just walks away. He's doing the same kind of thing right now. Yeah, what? Could be, could be. Jesus is good at punchline. But it, here it says he, then he entered into this house, right? So he says this really, really audacious thing. And then he just goes into this, into a house, it says. Well, just leaves, I just picture him just leaving all these people with their mouths hanging open, you know? He's saying basically, hey, you know that thing that your grandparents were tortured for and died for? Yeah, it really wasn't that important. Pete, do you have something you're going to say? Yes, yes. <laughs> Whoa, is right. Yeah, that's the, is this the NIV up here? Go to the next, go to the next verse. Uh, there it is. I should have read it off this slide. Yeah, it is kind of an insult, isn't it? Are you so dull, he asked. So, so obviously, the disciples have to ask him about this, right? Because he says this really, really harsh, audacious thing. So the disciples, I just picture them saying, um, Jesus, what, what was that back there? What was that? And, and this is Jesus' response. Are you so dull? Oh, Jesus is great. And, I, and I'll point this out. I don't have time to talk about this, but we're moving from Jesus talking at the Pharisees to Jesus addressing a crowd of people to now here he's just addressing his disciples. And I love watching the way he interacts with different groups of people. And his disciples, because he's built probably a lot of trust with them, I think he can say something like this. <laughs> Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see 
that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean. Can make him unclean. You see, his disciples were Jewish too. So they didn't necessarily believe what Jesus was saying back there when he's addressing the crowd either. So Jesus says this. He explains it in a little more detail, right? If we go to the next, yeah. So why doesn't it make a person unclean? He says, we really get at the heart of the issue in the next couple of verses here. For whatever a person eats doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all food clean, which, which I like because I love pork. And he went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. So verse 20 here really is the kicker, I think, for what Jesus is saying. And, and going on through the rest of this passage, after verse 20, you want to go put the, yeah. So I'm going to read the rest of it here. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Uh, one more. Yes. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Wow. Wow, so Jesus is really clear here in what he's saying. He's really clear to his disciples. Every time his disciples come to him and ask a question, Jesus is pretty straight up with them, right? So this is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. What is it that makes us unclean? It's not something outside of us. It's us. It's our hearts. It's who we are that makes us unclean. That's a really big deal, and it's a great truth in Christianity. What makes me unclean to God is actually who I am. I'm going to flesh, that sounds awful, doesn't it? It does sound awful. I'm going to flesh that out a little bit. What that means is it's not what I've done that makes me unclean to God. It's not something outside of me that makes me unclean to God. It's my heart. And I think that's important because we actually have something in common. I think most of us, anyway, have something in common with the Pharisees who Jesus was talking to before our passage tonight. And that's that we all want to point to something outside of us that makes us unclean to God. Does that make sense? I think, I think what makes... Okay, I'll just say it for myself, anyway. I want to always point to something outside of myself that makes me unclean to God. So an example would be, let me, let me find, I wrote some really good examples down. I need to find them here. Um, so I think, let's see. Oh, Eric, you asked me the wrong question. No? So, Where'd it go? I know I wrote them down. One example, I'll just, I'll fly with another example. So I would say, like, I'm a Christian, and I feel like I'm obligated then to read my Bible, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing at all. That's actually a really good thing. But when I don't read my Bible, I start thinking that's what makes me sinful. Because I didn't read my Bible today. That means I'm a sinner. 
And I think Jesus in this passage is saying, no, no, that's not what makes you a sinner. What makes you a sinner is you're a sinner. And you sin because you're a sinner. Is that helpful? I'll talk a little bit more about that here. I think I, think, I don't want to get too far off track or too ahead of myself. But, but we've kind of seen, well, like in verse 6, the reason I went back and read verses 6 and 7 is because of what Jesus says. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And what the Pharisees, you know what the Pharisees were trying to do because of the last couple of weeks of sermons? They were trying to create their own way to God based on what they did. Based on what they did. If I don't eat pork, and if I don't do these things, and if I wash my hands the right way, that's going to make me clean to God. Well, here Jesus is saying, no, none of those things make you clean to God, and none of those things make you dirty to God. Your heart is evil. That's the problem. Do you have something to say, Jake? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And f- and for the Pharisees in Jesus' time, doing, can you put like verse 20 back up there? I think I'll use it. Doing these, fulfilling these laws is what made, a, made them righteous. But Jesus is saying, no, it's not those things that make you righteous. Right. Right. And that's why you guys remember, I think it was probably last week, uh, Robert talked about Corbin. Did he? And those Jewish laws and the things that they did. What did Jesus say about them? I'll read it here so you don't have to, if I can find it here. I think that was really telling. Um, Oh, where'd it go? The Danish guy, Corbin. That's good. No, that's a. Oh yeah, that's a different guy. Corbin is what the Pharisees came up with as a whole subset of laws to make, to make, (laughs) not a Danish guy. Although it could be, it could be, to try and make them clean. No, no, that's good. Yeah. Well, Jesus says to them, you have, a, you have a fine way of making your own laws and your own rules. But what you're actually doing is getting rid of the commandment of God by making your own laws and your own rules. And, th- and that's what he's continuing to do here in verses 14 through 23. Because the Pharisees decided, right, that it was way easier to blame things outside of themselves for their sinful state than it was to just blame themselves. Because then you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. And even in the Old Testament, like Jake was saying, all the, all the Jewish people pinned their hope on a Savior. They had to because they knew, like what Jake was saying, they knew that these rituals and these laws that they were keeping were really powerless to actually make them 
righteous, to make them right before God. What they were doing is foreshadowing a Savior that was to come. Well, now they've gotten so, by this point in time, especially the Pharisees, there were a bunch of different camps of, of Jewish leaders, and the Pharisees were the ones that Jesus fought with the most. And they've got some really great interaction. But, but they were the ones that got so caught up in the laws that they couldn't see the grace of God. They kept making more laws and making laws that were even contrary in the end to what God's command was, Jesus said. So it's way easier for them to blame something outside of this. And I, I do this too, like I was saying. I believe that, I believe that I'm a, a sinner, that I'm saved by grace. I believe that I'm sinful. But I like to point to things outside too. I say I'm sinful because... I did this or that, or because I didn't do this or that. I'm sinful because I didn't read my Bible, right? And there's a, a big difference between that and what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus would say to me, no, you didn't read your Bible because you're sinful. And that's a, it sounds like a little semantic thing, but it's actually a big, big paradigm shift. There's a vast difference, and I think it's a really important one. Um, John Owen, you don't need to know who that is, but he's one of my theological heroes. Most of my best friends have been dead for at least 300 years. John Owen's one of them. But he said this. He said, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Because our hearts are evil, our actions are sinful. It's not the other way around. Does that make sense? Okay, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying here, I think. So the problem with us is not that we've committed a few sins. The problem is that we've actually never done anything but be sinful. When you think about it, sinful means what? We're, so, we're full of sin. Full of sin. That's what sinful is. Even when we think we're doing good, or that <clears throat> we think we're doing good, we've got some really cool passages like Isaiah 64, 6 to bring us back to earth. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all have become like one who is unclean, and even our good deeds are like filthy rags. And that's even nastier than it sounds, filthy rags. Does anybody know what filthy rags means? No. I should. Yeah, that's like, it's a menstrual cloth, a used menstrual cloth, so we won't go there. I don't want to, but that's disgusting, I think. And that's the whole point. There you go. 64.6. So what he's saying is even your good deeds, when we think we're doing well, God says even your good deeds, because you're sinful, are like filthy rags, or worse than filthy rags. The thing is, so I too often, I'm in ministry and I hear this all the time, people saying to me things like, God must really be mad at me now because I had sex with my girlfriend or because I got drunk Friday night. Well, no, that's, that's actually Satan telling you a lie. God's not mad at you because of what you've done. The problem between you and God is not a sin or two that you've committed. The problem is you've never done anything but be sinful. 
And I haven't figured out a good way to say that to people yet. And I'm doing evangelism. Like, somebody comes and tells me, yeah, I, I uh, had sex with my girlfriend, so God must hate me. No, don't worry. God doesn't not like you because you had sex with your girlfriend. God's upset with you because you've never done anything but sin. That doesn't come off real well. I've got to figure out a better way of saying that. So if anybody comes up with something better, let me know. Let me know. On the other hand, there's too many of us as well. And, and some of us in this room who think we're right before God because of what we do. And Jesus wipes that out in this passage too. I, I hear people say things all the time like, well, I'm basically a good person, so God accepts me. Or, in the end, I just think that my good is going to outweigh my bad. Just like Jesus wipes out the thought that we can be clean based on what we do, Jesus wipes out the thought in this passage that we can be right before God based on what we do. Right? And that's what the Pharisees were trying to do. They had all these ritual cleansings and these things. Jesus is saying, no, no, that's, that's not how you get right with God. It's not how you get right with God. <clears throat> we're not condemned and we're not made righteous based on what we do. And I know that that's something that you probably hear a lot, but that really hit me when I read through this passage. Because I fall into this trap all the time. I feel like God is upset with me because of what I do or because of what I don't do. And that's not the truth. It's not the truth. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that too. So Jesus here points to our hearts. And he lists all these nasties that come out of our hearts. And I don't know if you want to put like verse 20 or 21 up there. There's all kinds of them. Hmm. Um, he lists all these, I just call them nasties. That come from within us. And, and scripture tells us straight up all these things like. All people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jeremiah seventeen nine says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Desperately sick. That's what the heart is. Romans three ten says no one is righteous. No, not one. And Jesus has just gotten done explaining how pointless rituals are to the Pharisees and to these people, in making us clean. So I can just imagine in this scene, the tension is really thick right now. Jesus is basically just explaining how everyone is hopeless. Isn't he? Can you feel that tension? Jesus just said, basically, you're all a bunch of sinful hypocrites, and you have it all wrong. What you're trying to do to get right with God is not working, but it's actually making it worse. You can't clean yourselves up the way God requires you to be cleaned. How awful. How awful. And, and his words here, they just stop right there. He's done. He walks away and enters into a house. So this should be the most depressing sermon ever. Right? We're brought to this point where we really don't know what to do, we don't know where to turn, and we're kind of hopeless. Yeah, Jake.
so it's always easier to point to something outside of us as the problem because we can do something about it then, right? Because I could do something about it then. So the Pharisees, oh, they would say, I'm unclean before God because I've got dirt on my hands. Well, I'll just wash my hands. Now I'm clean before God. No, the problem isn't your dirty hands. The problem is your dirty heart. The end, basically. But I said I wasn't a good preacher, so I'm not going to stop here, right? We don't need to do strict exposition tonight. Just because Jesus' words stop here, we know that Jesus' life doesn't stop here in verse 21, 22, and 23. So when I said at the beginning that ultimately what Jesus says here is what got him killed, I meant more than this is the thing that ticked off the Pharisees enough that they went and got him killed. I meant that these verses, verse 21, is the thing that made Jesus come to earth and die the death he died in our place for all of this stuff. I believe that it's when we understand this stuff and we understand how sinful we are how full of sin we are, that's when we can start comprehending the rest of Jesus' life and what that means for us. The rest of his life and death. There's no good news without bad news first. And this passage we were looking at tonight is the bad news. The bad news. We don't understand God's grace and his mercy unless we get something about his wrath and his justice and why he needed to, why God needed to send a savior to die in our place. Otherwise, this is the whole big fat point of Jesus, period. This is why we need Jesus, because of this stuff. And I'm glad Robert's going through Mark because Mark really deals with all of the all of these nasties. All these nasties. And I'm I'm sick of too often in the church we glance over this stuff. We love the grace part of things. We love the love, love the love, but we don't understand the reason why there's grace and why there's mercy and why there's love. And one of the things that God has done in my life has shown me more of this junk, and that has really exponentially helped me see how great God is It's because of this stuff. What Jesus did for me means so much more when I understand this. We can't clean our hearts by doing things like washing our hands or not eating pork or not going to church. We can't clean our hands by having quiet times every day or being baptized, right? Baptism, I won't, I won't talk about baptism. We can't, it's not, it's a symbol. It doesn't clean us. It doesn't clean our hearts. None of these things are bad. Going to church is not bad. Reading your Bible is not bad. Getting baptized, not bad but they're powerless to make us right before God. So this passage that we read begs the question, so what do we do? There's all this tension because Jesus said, you're hopeless. You're a bunch of sinful hypocrites and there is no hope. So what do we do now? I'm going to skip ahead a couple books. You're really good with this uh, PowerPoint thing, by the way, Devin. Do you want to get 2 Corinthians 5.21? Up there. Uh, 
2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us what Jesus did to truly solve the problem that we just read about in Mark 7.14-23. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. in him we might become the righteousness of god so what can we do we can only be right with god because of what second corinthians 5 21 says trust in jesus for rightness with god trust in jesus for being clean that's all we can do we sin because we are sinners and we can't perform any ritual that will make us clean The only thing that will make us clean is accepting what Christ has done and taking the punishment for our sin, for all the nasties that we read about in Mark 7. He's taken the punishment for it. it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's only because of this that we can be called sons and daughters of God. So Jesus has given us hope where there literally was no hope. There literally was no hope. And it's a freeing thing. And I had actually been a Christian a while before I kind of grasped this. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free, Scripture says. And I had been trying to do all the right things as a Christian, and that's what made me right before God. I had been going to church faithfully, reading my Bible every day, praying every day. I went to youth group. I went to like two or three youth groups every week. I was getting right with God. Jesus says, no, it's not those rituals that make you right with God. It's not. It's accepting 2 Corinthians 5.21. And that's the only way to clean your heart. It's the only way to clean your heart. So my little disclaimer before I end is that what I'm not saying is you you shouldn't necessarily do all these things. And this is another sermon. In fact, Jesus himself says... No, I can tell that you're saved by grace based on what you do. But that's another sermon. That's another sermon. God doesn't save us because of what we do. But Martin Luther said, we're saved by grace apart from works, but we're not saved by a faith that doesn't produce works. Does that make sense? So I can tell, like, I'm in ministry, and there's definitely been a couple times where somebody has said they were a Christian But they really weren't acting like a Christian because I know God's grace changes people. And I can go to them and say, because of what Jesus has done for you, I need to call you out on this. And if they don't change their behavior, I have to question whether God has actually shown them grace. Because I can tell what you believe based on how you live your life. But that's a totally different sermon. And I'm going to let Robert take that one. Yeah. He was pretty ticked off, right? (laughs) I don't think he really was accepting anybody. He was guilted about it. 
I think, no, I mean, he wasn't a masochist. But, but maybe, maybe resenting, I wouldn't say resenting necessarily because of the enormous, immense love that Jesus had for all of these people. So Jesus, he could do things like call the disciples dull, but still love them immensely. And he knew God sent him so Jesus was sent by God, came from the right hand of God, the Father, to earth with a purpose. And Jesus knew his purpose. Um, so this gets into a lot of, a lot of different things. But I, I would say Jesus never resented necessarily the fact that he was going to die for these people who were being dull. Or these people who were um, leading other people astray necessarily. Because of his great love for them and because of what God sent him to do. Jesus never lost sight of the mission. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, Scripture says. And the Pharisees were lost. <laughs> ah, good question. Um, no, because, because, let me go, go, maybe I'll go a couple places here. Well, I'll say because, we'll just stick with Second Corinthians 5.21 for now, as long as that's up here. When it talks about, it uses this little phrase, in him. Can we put, can we put 2 Corinthians 5.21 back up? Sorry to keep making you go back and forth here. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Um, Philippians and Ephesians, those two books are really good at, talking about what that in him means. And that means we are only given this grace when we accept what Jesus has done on the cross. That's what that, I'd say both Ephesians 2, I'll read some of Ephesians 2 in a little bit here to close, and that'll talk a little bit more about this. But um, and I don't want to get too far into it because I'll say something that, Robert doesn't agree with, and then we'll go back and forth. Maybe he won't even listen to this sermon, which would be fine, too. Um, so maybe that would be a good question for Robert. I don't want to say anything that, that messes him up. But, but that in him means that when we accept the free gift of grace because of what Jesus has done, we're, we're cloaked in the righteousness of Christ is the theological term. So we put that on. Ephesians 2 talks about this. I'll read that in just a second. We put it on like a garment, and that means there's this great exchange, we call it. So our sin was put on Christ and punished on the cross, and the righteousness that Jesus earned through his perfect life gets transferred to us when we when we accept what Jesus has done. We're found, it's called being found in Christ. That's what this passage is talking about. We can talk more about this afterward if you like. Is that, is that all right? That's, that's probably a totally unsatisfactory answer. But Okay. And then you, you can ask Robert about it next week. Did someone else have a hand up or something? No. Okay. Okay, good. 
So, so I, I'm going to go ahead and just read Ephesians 2, 12 through 18. I think that's actually a really good place for us to, to close. So it's in light of all of these things. It's in light of our sinfulness. It's in light of 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that we can read Ephesians 2, 12 through 18. And I'm just going to read this to kind of close, if that's okay. And then I'll pray for us, and I think Eric's going to come back up, so... Uh, I'll read it off the slide. Ephesians two twelve through 18. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope. Okay. And without hope and without God in the world. Okay. But now... Those are my two favorite words in the whole Bible. But now, in Christ Jesus, so verse 12 was, was totally Mark seven fourteen through 23, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Jesus has made hope where there was no hope. Ah, Just pray with me quick. Father, we thank you so much again for your word, and we thank you even more for sending your son, God, and for all that that means for us. You've given us hope. You've given us purpose. You've given us meaning, and you've given us life. God, where there was no hope, You've given us hope, and I pray, Father, that we would cling to that hope this coming week and look to you as the only thing that gives us meaning and gives us purpose, gives us life. We love you. We pray that you would change us by your word. We love you. In your name, amen. Okay. So... Robert told me I'm supposed to ask if anybody has anything else that they feel needs to be said. Does he usually ask that or is he just... Okay, good. Good. So I'll ask that. Jake, ha- Jake always has something that needs to be said. As a, as a what? As a joke. No. <laughs> um, there is a way to know when Jesus is joking and when he's not. But it is a little... I'll, we can talk. Can we talk about this afterwards? Okay, good. Robert will do uh, a sermon on the jokes of Jesus, I'm sure, one of these days. <laughs> and it'll be great. Jesus is hilarious, by the way. Oh my goodness. 
Like the uh, camel going through the eye of a needle thing. Oh, you guys know that one? Where Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. And then these, these biblical scholars, they come up, they try to come up with all these things. Like, oh, there is probably this gate in Jerusalem and the camels had to unload their burden before they went under the gate. No, there wasn't. There wasn't. Jesus was just being funny. That's funny. That's a joke. So... Jesus is really funny. Well, I'll say one more thing too. Um, I believe that scripture is more than just meant for our information. It's meant for transformation. So I, I know that God works through his spirit when we read scripture or talk about scripture. So um, Pete's going to be in the back, right, Pete? He's already back there. He knows his role. Um, and if you guys want somebody to pray with, want to do business with God, feel free to go back and pray with Pete or Grab a friend and pray, or just move around the room as you feel led. So, Eric's going to sing a few more songs. All right. Ooh, yeah, I'm on. All right. You guys can stand up if you want. Uh. 